Hi there. Welcome back to The Yoga Show from Yoga Journal, your place to connect with thought leaders in the wellness community who are making waves, big and small. I'm your host, Lindsay Tucker, executive editor of Yoga Journal. And in this podcast, we produce four-episode series around the themes of each issue of our magazine. Last time, we told you we were closing out our energy series, but we found the energy to produce one more podcast on the topic of our July-August issue. This week, we are joined by New York Times bestselling author and teacher, Dr. Pedram Shojai, for a special bonus episode in our energy series. Pedram's new book, Focus, Bringing Time, Energy, and Money into Flow, examines how we trade our energy for time and how we can increase our body's energy budget to live our fullest, most aligned lives. Pedram, hello. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for being with us on the show today. Thanks for having me. So you are not just the author of The Urban Monk. You are also the founder of The Urban Monk Academy, right? Yep, I am. I've been teaching, uh, teaching this stuff for years and uh, you know, given the circumstances and the way the world is online and um, you know, just being able to sit in your house and do your practice is really kind of the, the, the way we got to go now. Yeah, yeah. I think that is a lot, what a lot of us are experiencing. Tell us about the Urban Monk Academy. So I started studying this stuff, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, became a Taoist monk, became an abbot of uh, my lineage, and uh, had the real pleasure, distinct honor to study with some of the best, best in the world. And, uh, you know, I just, I wasn't doing that stuff. I was a doctor. I was a filmmaker, an author. I, I kind of, I was, I was doing other things. And I realized that um, the work was really being trivialized, right? Like everything is six pack abs and, you know, you know, how, you know, what are the three things I need to eat to, you know, fix my everything. And everything had become an, kind of tabloid recommendations. And I realized mm -hmm. that the work really has um, you know, been compromised in some ways. And you know, I'm a traditional dude. I came from very traditional training and um, really needed to kind of put my voice back into the chorus and be like, look, from someone who's you know, done, done all the work, I can tell you right now, uh, there aren't shortcuts, but the work is miraculous and it's phenomenal. And if you don't fall for the you know, sugar cereal version of all this stuff and do the work, you will have the radical transformation, but you can't cut all those corners. So when you say you come from a traditional training, what was that like? I was, it's a lot of work, <laughs> you know? So I became the senior student of a Kung Fu master uh, who, uh, you know, our lineage was from the Yellow Dragon Monastery in China. You know, they, the communists came, burned it down, killed everyone. My grandmaster was not at the temple when it happened. Um, they snuck him off, brought him to Chinatown, uh, San Francisco. And I had the privilege of being able to study with him and his senior students for uh, decades and learn uh, the Qigong, the meditation, all the, all, all the work that, you know, had kind of survived that, uh, had the fortune of, of, you know, kind of passing the torch onto me and my generation. Wow. And when, when did that all happen? In the 90s. Um, you know, it's basically, you know, mid to late 90s, I stepped into this. I realized that there was more to look at. You know, I was a pre-med guy at UCLA. And, um, you know, the difference between the health, the word health being used on the buildings that I would be, you know, walking through the corridors of these, you know, buildings that house illness and doctors that are throwing prescriptions at you uh, while I was simultaneously taking Tai Chi and feeling life between my hands and going, you know, th 
health, right? Like what, you know, they're, they're both talking about health. One of them feels like it. Right. And, uh, that just that bifurcation just mm-hmm. put me on a different path because the, the model that I was studying and the medicine that I was studying, um, under the traditional model, you know, we were just putting people on morphine, <laughs> you know, as a young guy looking down the barrel of that future, I, I just, I couldn't understand it. Like I, that was not for me. And I ended up, yeah. you know, taking this mag- magical mystery tour and, you know, doing all the things that I've done. And what was that pivot? When did you sort of make that pivot and what were the next steps? You know, it's interesting because I, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, wow, I saw my, I saw my destiny and I just pivoted. Um, that's, that's elegant, but that's not really how reality tends to work. Um, I got confused and, you know, I was asking God for help and was like, yo, if you're there, I could sure use uh, a sign right now. And um, I was in the university research library and a book fell out of a bookshelf about 15 feet in front of me. And I just, I was like, nah, come on. I literally, I thought one of my friends was messing with me by somehow hearing what was going on in my head. Um, and I, <laughs> you know, and I, and I opened up the book and it was a passage of a Taoist master leading his disciples across a raging river by connecting their lower Dantians and energy centers. And I'm like, wow, that's far out. Um, but, you know, books normally don't fall when you ask, you know, for a clue. So I, I checked it out, read the book that night, found a Taoist master that week and, and off we went. Right. And I, and at that, that point, it was just one of those weird things where I walked into the school. Um, the master has got his back to us teaching. He blows right by my friend, walks straight up to me and says, I've been expecting you. And I'm like, well, I, really? you know, like, I guess I'm here. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And then it just got too, it got too weird to ignore. Right. And so uh, I yeah. was in. So what are some of the offerings of the Urban Monk Academy right now that you think are, would be really useful and relevant to people given the times that we're living in? Mm-hmm. Well, one is just tried and true practices that I've brought um, without the telephone game from the different uh, masters and traditions that I've learned. You want to learn Tai Chi and Qigong and meditation. Here's how it was taught to me and my teacher before me in a way that has been, um, uh, I can't say not distorted, but less distorted over the generations, right? As it's, there's been a real effort to say, this is how it's been taught for thousands of years instead of, oh, here's my new Pedram system. You should follow me, you know, like me on Instagram. And, and you know, all this stuff that people start to create um, around themselves, uh, trying to make meditation 2.0 uh, versus saying, well, this is the stuff that's worked for 5,000 years. Why don't you just do that? Right? So mm-hmm. all of the kind of pure tradition as, as well as can be transferred is in there. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the core work that I've done over the last couple decades is this work called the life garden, which is, look, you only have a certain amount of time, energy, and money and those things you trade actively for each other, right? You'll trade your time for money, your energy you put into it. And, and you know, you complain about your life not working out, but are you looking at where this, you know, kind of metaphorical water is going? What plants are you watering? And what plants do you say mm-hmm. you want? And are they getting enough water? And if not, then let's look at the weeds and let's just look at your allocations. Let's just look at um, the way you're gardening your life. And make some adjustments, right? Because it's your power, mm-hmm. it's your vitality, it's it's you feeding the things that you say you want. So either you don't really want them, or you're just distracted. And that's where you know a lot of my work has centered over the last decade or so. Is you know everyone talks about the power of intention. It's like you know what you, everyone's got a lot of willpower banked up for maybe the first couple of weeks of a of a new year, and they blow through their resolutions. What is that? They're lacking focus. 
and it, they're not able to focus on the things they say they want for long enough to hatch those eggs, they're not going to happen, right? And so focus is something that's just been scattered. It's something that the media is is trying to pull away from us. It's our attention is being monetized. Our eyeballs are worth billions of dollars on social platforms and all this. And, you know, everywhere you look, someone wants you to either vote or buy or something, and that, and, and that focus getting s- scattered into all of these different channels leaves us not watering our own gardens. It leaves us just lost and confused and, and you know, kind of fizzing out. And that's the problem, right? You got a bunch of people walking around like hungry ghosts. And that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, actually, um, from your book where you talk about not existing as a hungry ghost. What What is the hungry ghost? Well, the Buddhists traditionally call people who are unaware, who are unable to retroflect and turn their attention inward as hungry ghosts. I mean, that's a term that's been used for millennia. Um, people who are not connected with their inner soul, their, their selves, looking mm-hmm. for things outside of them to fix them, right? So, you know, the Buddha mm-hmm. talks about desire and, you know, cravings being one of the challenging aspects of the human suffering equation, right? Just wanting something. It's like, you know, oh, that purse is going to make me desirable. This, you know, this um, eye makeup or that face cream or that truck is going to make me feel like a man. And that's all just distortions of looking outwards like a hungry ghost, thinking something outside of you is going to fix you or any of your problems. And that's just nonsense, right? But it's the world we live in, so here we are. Yeah. Now, what about the idea of the energy budget? Well, I mean, look, most of us have a certain amount of energy. I mean, there's the, you know, food equals energy. So how are you eating and how are you living and how are you, you know, building muscle to, you know, generate mitochondria and all the stuff the, you know, the diet and fitness people talk about. But if you look at energy just as a currency and you have, you know, a certain amount of energy available to you on a certain day and you could up that, you could up that revenue by fixing your lifestyle, but then you have a certain amount of places that you put it. And your time commitments and your energy commitments. And man, I don't know a person that I grew up with that doesn't over budget their energy out versus the energy in and just they're wasted by the end of the day, right? And that is not an equation that leads to longevity. You start robbing Peter to pay Paul, you're living on that bread line of energy. You're one flu, I mean, you know, one pandemic, you're one, you know, divorce or bad news or bad call away from just being under underwater. And then what happens if the body doesn't have enough energy to meet its needs, you get sick, you get, Mm -hmm. you know, chronic disease, you start to get leaky gut. I mean, there's so many things that happen when the body cannot meet its energetic needs. And that's just the body. What about psychological resilience? What about creating enough energy to cushion all of the media and bad news and crap that comes out us all day. I mean, you get, you need to, you need to walk with a, a full tank nowadays just to not get knocked over right? But yet we'll spend it and be energy poor and be walking through, you know, a dark alley getting jumped by life circumstances. It just doesn't work. So how can we better balance our energy? Well, I mean, first it starts with priorities. Like what are your priorities in life? Like for me, it's my kids and my wife and, you know, being the dad I choose to be and the family life that, that I um, have committed to, obviously I got to take care of my career. Obviously I got to take care of my health. So you look at all these things and you're like, okay, look, I, you know, I said, I'm going to work out today. I want to hang out with my kids. I mean, Lord knows we're all homeschooling and stuff now. Like, so it's like, you know, I got to, I got to do all these things and there's all this energy out 
So like, you know, buddy calls me and says he's in town and, you know, let's go for a hike or a drink or whatever your friends do. Sometimes the answer has got to be no, right? Or maybe the answer is, look, I can't go for a drink with you because that just hurts, but I still have to work out today. So meet me at this trailhead and let's hike and we'll talk it out there. And so you adjust what you need as kind of the framework of your life so that you're putting the oxygen mask on first, right? Everyone, you know, I know how many, how many Mm -hmm. yoga people do you know that are stressed out about not getting to their practice? Right. And that lasts Mm -hmm. all day, every day. And it just, at a a certain point, either you're just lying to yourself or you're not going to do it. Right. Or just do it. And so if you are going to do it, when the hell are you going to do it? And what do you have to say no to? Right. And that, that really is kind of the fundamentals of an energy budget. Yeah. You have to prioritize what you need to make happen. Yeah. And, and, and and no is a very strong word. And if you look at the, the feedback loops of where the word no comes from, it comes from the prefrontal cortex. So you start doing brain imaging studies on people that are doing mind body practice and meditation and all these things that we talk about. It's all about activating the prefrontal cortex, which happens to be the same area of the third eye and all the practices that we do. That part of the brain is responsible for negation of impulses and higher moral reasoning, right? And if you look mm-hmm. at the world we live in, everyone's back in the amygdala, reactive, and like, what are they going to do next? Or, you know, those damn blues or those damn reds. And, you know, everyone's just pitted against each other. And no one's coming from this place of higher moral reasoning where there's discourse. And if you're in a place where the part of your brain that's responsible for the negation of impulses isn't working right, you say yes to the cheesecake. You say yes to the drinks. You say, you know, whatever, I'll do yoga next week. And you know what happens mm-hmm. there, right? It's just a slippery slope. And so doing the practice makes you better at curating your life so that you can continue to do the practice. It becomes an upward spiral. Right. And for the people who might feel guilt or anxiety about saying no, how can they care for that? That's a tough one, right? Because we're all born into a world where uh, we suck with boundaries, Uh, especially West Coast. I find my East Coast friends are a little better with boundaries, but West Coast is just like, sure, man, (laughs) right? Without even thinking about it. (laughs) And um, look, it's... You at, at a certain point, you have to choose to be selfish because it feels selfish, right? At first, it feels really selfish to say yes to yourself and no to others so that there's more left in the tank so that you are vibrantly alive and can actually be there for your loved ones and your friends. So it's really about mapping out what's in your life garden, mapping out what's truly important to you in terms of work-life balance. I mean, I've made some massive changes in my lifestyle. I used to be gone 80 days a year making my films and being gone. And my kids were like, dad, that guy, right? And I was like, okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I changed my entire life around to be gone a maximum of seven nights a year because I can't talk about work-life balance and not be that guy. That's hypocrisy. Was that easy? No, but you make the difficult decisions, then you get the life that you want, right? And so you just... We live in a culture where advertising is trying to sell us on this notion that you can have it all right now. It's nonsense. You can have it all maybe over a long, healthy life as you curate and balance and adjust and say, yeah, you know what? In two years from now, my kids are going to be out and then I'll do this. Yeah, great. That's that's rational. That's, that's good thinking. But trying to do it all right now is going to probably give you the life that you see, right? Which is chaos because mm-hmm. there's just not enough energy in to meet the energy requirements out. And that's, it's exhausting psychologically, and it's also exhausting spiritually. You just feel like a failure because you're just not getting to things. Right. 
The Yoga Show will return in a moment after these messages. Now, are there any practical tools that you've used or that you can suggest for not just balancing your energy, but monitoring it, right? Sometimes I think we don't even notice how much energy we're putting into certain things because we're kind of on autopilot. We have to take care of the bills. We have to take care of X, Y, and Z in our life. And we don't even notice where some of the energy sucks really are. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's the hardest part, right? Is everyone thinks of yoga or meditation as this kind of like this app that you double click on and you're like, okay, I'm going to do some stuff. And now I feel so much better. That's great. And then you like close it and go back to your crazy life. That's just not the reality of how these things are set up. It should almost be like a virus checker, like in your operating system, constantly going, hey, what am I doing right now? Right. And mm -hmm. and because most of us haven't, you know, dedicated the time to develop that level of awareness that kind of, you know, is is subtly always there. Right. Like that takes some work to get to. One of the things that I've done and I've done this with like 1400 corporations. I mean, I'm talking like normal people. Right. Like this isn't mm -hmm. like, oh, I did this in my yoga tribe and everyone, you know, got along. These are normal people who are stressed out and doing stuff. What we did is we put a little timer on their desktop or their phones that basically went off every 25 minutes that said, look, five minutes for you, right? Take 10 lower diaphragmatic breaths, get up and pee, go get some water, do one or two exercises that you need right now. Like I've been hunched over a desk, I'm gonna do a little bit of back stuff, I'm gonna do a couple lunges, whatever. And then just check in real quick. What am I doing right now? What do I need to be doing right now? And just kind of course correcting and adjusting. It's almost like navigation. You always you kind of want to check your compass, make sure you're not going to wander off for 100 miles. So twice an hour, you just take a little bit of time for you. And I got to tell you, Lindsay, when I first started this, like the HR people were freaking out. They're like, dude, that's so much loss of productivity. <laughs> you're going to get me fired. I'm like, yo, just trust. Absenteeism yeah. went down. Uh, presenteeism uh, went down, Pro productivity went up, sleep got better, stress got improved, they started making more money. And they're like, how did this, how does this happen? It's like, dude, you people, the human, humans need a break and they need to just calibrate and just think about where they're going instead of just trucking along and, you know, playing Tetris when you're not looking. Right. And, and it was yeah. just, it, it's such a simple thing to just have a little reminder to check in. And the question I like best from one of my Zen masters that's always stuck with me is, you know, his whole thing was no effort. Don't do anything. I'm like, okay, well, so what do you do? Nothing. And he's like, okay, the one thing you're allowed to do then, because you crazy Westerners don't understand how to do nothing, is whenever you feel like doing something, just ask yourself, what am I doing right now? And whatever it is, just stop and relax for a moment. Right? And that practice of popping in the clutch to just chill for a second and just regroup for a second will create an ecosystem within your own kind of brain chemistry to learn how to do that better and become better and better at doing this thing called life every day, which is, yeah, wow, you know, I, I really did stop at that water cooler and talk to Becky for 20 minutes. And now I'm like feeling stressed and time compressed because the stupid report is due. Right. And just those little things mm -hmm. behaviorally start to help. And then the little things physiologically, just in terms of getting up and moving and getting your mitochondria cranking so your energy works better, will then make you more efficient, send more energy to your brain so it actually works and you're not sitting there daydreaming, pretending to be looking at a spreadsheet. Yeah, I think those little moments of being mindful and doing maybe a full body scan or even mental scan are really helpful. But 
we don't always give ourselves permission to do them. No. And, and that's, you know, that's us and our bosses sometimes don't give us permission. Right. And so it's just, it's a weird kind of world that we live in where it's hard to not pretend to look busy because someone's always looking over your shoulder being like, what are you doing? Right. And even if they're not mm-hmm. there, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to look at my phone because I'm sitting here. It's crazy. Right. But we've all fallen into crazy. But what's, you know, and everyone is looking for a complicated, complex solution to their complex life problems. But what if the solution to complexity was actually simplicity? Right? And it's, it's yes. a lot simpler than we're trying to make it. So let's take that a little further. How is the solution simplicity? How can we be a little bit more simpler? How can we be a lot more simpler? Yeah. It's funny, I just got off of a socially distanced Qigong retreat that I taught to just very few people, you know, like 3% of the people. I was like, look, I'll still do it, but you got to show up with masks and whatever. And one of the uh, two of my students, so the husband, husband and wife, were runners. And they're just fast, 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 you know, like their energy's fast. And like, you know, you're trying to do like slow moving breathing stuff. And they're just like, ah, right. This, this is hard for me. And, you know, the, the metaphor came up of like, you know, whales and their communication. And, you know, we didn't even understand that they were talking over thousands of miles because the wavelength was just so long and it was so deep and slow, right? And mother nature, the earth under your feet, has that same type of very slow yet powerful wave right beneath your feet that if you could just slow your breath and drop into is like this eternal source of power right there, right? And that, I mean, talk about simplicity, like the tree lives there, the squirrel lives there, right? And we're Mm -hmm. just a little bit too fast to feel it or hear it. And so we're just living our lives and, you know, getting cancer or whatever the hell we do and just distracted for an entire life until we, you know, ask the big questions when it's too late. And the simplicity is connecting back with nature, learning how to breathe, low diaphragmatic Mm -hmm. breath. The, the, The trifecta of that is you have to release the tension in your gastroc, which means bending your knee. So a lot of this kind of standing postures we do, a lot of the yoga postures that we have is releasing the gastroc. Tongue curl to the roof of the mouth, and doing lower diaphragmatic breathing. And that trifecta has shown to take us from sympathetic dominance to parasympathetic nervous system dominance, rest and digest. Mm. And that's where the integration of our nervous system happens. That's where we're thinking about things without duress. We're not making terrible decisions coming from the wrong part of our brains. And these types of things, it's it's so cute to say, oh yeah, yeah, I read that study and now I'm gonna go back to my life. None of that matters unless you pick up a practice and do it, right? Everyone understands that they should meditate or they've heard that yoga is good for them. How often are you doing a practice and how have you integrated that into your everyday life? And how have you brought simplicity into the cadence of your life so that that becomes the governing principle that keeps you from, you know, swinging from vine to vine like a monkey not using your prefrontal cortex, right? And, and unfortunately, the world we live in has just looked right past that and is looking for some like device that can zap your brain back into balance. That's mm-hmm. not necessary, right? This is all just crazy mm-hmm. talk, right? We know what to mm-hmm. do, yet it just seems so cliche because it's like, you know, something I've heard. Yeah, and grandpa said the same thing every time and grandpa's, my grandpa's 104 and he's still healthy, right? Like there, there are, there are uh, certain precepts that come down from the, from the ancient days that are probably worth listening to. Yeah, absolutely. 
And like you said, we all know we have to do them. It's just putting it into practice and coming back to it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Day, day after day. So we've been talking about energy for the past four episodes of the podcast. Um, and something that I would love to hear from you on is energy in relationships and setting boundaries. Hmm. That's a big one. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we mentioned this before, people just suck at boundaries and codependency has become uh, really a, a conflicted way of, of kind of, you know, talking about love and relationships in our culture. And so, you know, for me, there's there's two really important ways to think about this. The first is that if you are living on the horizontal axis of reality. You're trying to get energy from others. You're like, you know, I need to eat some food. I'm dying. I'm starving. I can't. And, and everything is just this transactional across this horizontal plane. Um, I need to survive amongst these animals. And, you know, my girlfriend isn't giving me what I need. And I'm so mad at her. Right. And, and all these things that kind of come up on this kind of transactional reality that we have um, kind of gotten duped into thinking is it. And then there's the vertical plane where everything goes through your crown and your perineum and you realize that you have this bioelectric field around you and the more intact it is, the happier you are, the healthier you are, the less you need uh, in this transactional economy across this horizontal plane. And the more you individuate and connect with source and find that breath at the bottom of your spine and circulate that breath and really understand what your place is in, in this reality, the less you need to go get that from, from your boyfriend, your spouse, your whatever. And that to me, I think really feeds into, I, I love Marty Seligman's um, positive psychology. I really do. I'm a, I'm a Tantra practitioner. I really do think that you have to put energy into your relationship and build a positive charge because you're going to have bad days, right? You're going to, people get in car accidents, people sure. have, you know, migraines and they say things they shouldn't say. And so really learning to breathe up and down your own spine and learning to take care of yourself and realizing that you don't need to get any of that from the other is step one, sure. and then step two is really putting energy. Like, oh, you look so nice today, here's some flowers. How about this, you go sit down, you look tired, I'll grab the dishes tonight. And just all of these kind of positive acts of building chi, building energy to support the other, so that they're like, wow, you know what? I got this today, it's cool, right? And if you feel like you're in this transactional relationship where it's like, well, you're tired, you don't know how my, my day was, and you know, like you just get into this like tit for tat, like you, you have no understanding of what my reality is, and I'm just so like um, mad at you for things that are not necessarily your fault. And that's happening a lot more during this COVID time right now too, where people just have more pressure on each, on each other and on themselves. This is the time to take care of yourself and to put more energy into the bank account of positivity so that you could break that cycle of codependency. I mean, this is obviously like a huge, just like a 10 show series to talk about codependency, but you know, in the transactional energy realm in the context that we're talking, put energy into the positivity of your relationship and continue to draw energy from that kind of non-local eternal source that comes through your spine and do your work to wake up to the eternal self so that the small self isn't sitting there nitpicking and destroying your relationship over the minutia. 
And how can you start to recognize when your relationships are going into codependency or are existing fully in codependency? I mean, just just start with ill will, right? Like just you have this feeling like, Ugh, you know, she did that again. And you start kind of tracing back the negative toxic feelings that you're now harboring towards your spouse or the other going, wait, oh, hold on a second. That might actually be a clue into something that's that's uh, a codependency uh, pattern versus something that's reality. And so you start examining when you're pissed at the other and you start looking at why you're pissed and what you thought you needed out of them to feel whole. And was it their role to make you whole there? Right. I mean, look, if they're cheating on you or, you know, whatever, like there, there are things that, that, you know, are, are inappropriate in relationships, obviously. But if we're talking about this kind of weird transactional realm of codependency, where we're now starting to do this tit for tat thing, or you got to do that. So I'm going to dinner with my girls or blah, 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 blah. And it starts to escalate into this silly feud that is now building more charge and building more emotion. That's the part where you have to stop. And this is, again, it's the prefrontal cortex. It's like, okay, hold on a second. What the hell's happening here? And you introspect, you retroflect and be like, okay, is this me? Is this her? Is this, is this real? What is this? And then you open up a true dialogue about it instead of making the, making the battle lines, digging your heels in and being like, she's doing that thing again, so I'm going to do my thing, right? We, we're all just kind of kindergartners in that way. We'll be right back with more from The Yoga Show. So what if you find yourself needing protect, to protect your own energy from a partner or a family member, you know, someone who perhaps doesn't understand boundaries or has been operating in this codependency with you for so long? Yeah, that's a, that's a sticky one, isn't it? Because, you know, it's easy to say, well, you just walk away, right? And just, you know, create space. But that, that's not possible in a lot of these relationships, as, you know, we're well aware. You know, mom is always mom. And, you know, God bless her. She's got her thing. Or the spouse you share kids with or, you know, whatever. There's, there's circumstances that make life a lot stickier than saying, you know, just, just blanket statements like that, right? Um, yeah. So energetically, the first thing, and I, I really like doing kind of the energetic work in the background constantly before any of the, the real kind of external boundary management, because I like to dissipate conflict and resolve things with people's spirits before just being like, you know, F off, I've had enough of you, right? Because a lot of this stuff is actually karma for us to work out. And it's important mm. lessons that keep coming back because we're not getting it, right? So what I typically do is I'll do um, a cord cutting ceremony where I'll close my eyes and just kind of envision the cords going out to this individual and start cutting them and kind of bringing that energy and sealing it back into my own body. And then just with a loving heart, exploring what is happening in that relationship, uh, who this person might be to me. And, you know, sometimes some crazy stuff comes up. You're like, oh my goodness, I've known these people for past lives and all that. Depending on how, you know, how far down that rabbit hole you go, there's a lot of information that would actually inform why some of this happens. Um, but for the layman, I mean, look, you just cut the energy ties and learn to breathe up your spine and down the front. So you inhale up the back, exhale down the front, you create this kind of hamster wheel of what we call the microcosmic orbit, which then starts to solidify this force field where you are now 
wholly contained within your own orb of energy. And then as you start breathing down to your lower abdomen and stabilizing that, they tend to not like it. They're like, hey, hey, you know, it's like the, the, the straw can't get in and, and they're, they're losing their fix. And that's when once you've severed energetically, you can then start having these, this dialogue around saying, look, you know, I really don't like it when you come in here and just use my laptop or whatever. And I don't think that's appropriate. And you have these conversations lovingly. Um, 30% of the time that works. <laughs> You know, I'd love to say human nature was better than it is, but then, you know, people just get nasty and people start, you know, it's, think of it this way. This is an example I've, I've used for students over the years is like you have a couple wolves out in the wild. Um, they mark territory, they pee on trees, right? So if over the last five years, wolf A has been able to walk into territory B and pee on a bunch of trees and say, this is mine. And now the, the kind of the down dog wolf starts saying, you know what, actually, these are my trees back off. That is inherently creating conflict in the animal brain, in the animal world. So because we live in a culture that is so averse to conflict, we get petrified of that. Mm-hmm. We're like, I'm about to get into a fight. If I say this, it's going to turn into this. Uh, and so we just avoid it. And so how long do we avoid it? A month, a year, 10 years. And that energy and that resentment starts to build up to the point where like 10 years later, you, you know, you throw a dish at them and, and it was over like the laptop. But it's just this line has been tr- like trampled on for so long and you've bit your tongue and bit your tongue. So now there's just this tremendous energetic charge around this thing and it feels like a blow up because there's so much energy behind it. And so the appropriate way to deal with that is the same way you'd always deal with it, which is like, yo, you're crossing the line. Stop that. I don't like that. And, you know, so if they keep crossing the line, there's recourse. I mean, you could call the cops. You could, you could walk away. There's, there's things that you can do. But because there's such an aversion to conflict, we have so much charge behind it that we're just like, you know, F you. And, you know, just everything turns into this huge blow up because the, these are lines that were crossed decades ago in some instances, right? And that's why it feels so difficult. So you really got to kind of look at that and examine that and start to kind of breathe through and understand what it is, cut the ties energetically, and start looking at it lovingly, being like, okay, what do they need? Oh, actually, you know, the reason they're, they're coming in here, and this is a dumb example, but it's the one I started with, is like using my laptop, is because they actually just kind of want to like be close to me because they miss me, but they don't really know how to communicate that. So they come in like, you know, sit around and want to be with me. And if that comes out in a conversation, you're like, yo, let's go for a hike. Let's, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. I kind of don't want you in my laptop, but I'm understanding what you're asking for now. Right. And it becomes mm-hmm. really juicy human discourse versus this weird tit for tat thing that is actually something else. Right. Which it usually right. is. Yeah. So getting clearer with communication sounds like is a big one. Yeah. And, and we suck at it. Right. We're terrible communicators because we are just so averse to conflict. And we really are such people pleasers at heart and we want people to like us. And, you know, all that leads to all these aberrant behavioral um, relationship issues that really don't need to be there if we just were a little more self-aware of our own internal tendencies. Yeah. So your book is coming out in November. So what are some of the concepts that you are most excited to share with readers? Yeah, I, I honestly think that the issues we're having today 
in our society as it feels like it's kind of getting torn apart is we're having a crisis of consciousness and we're falling asleep to our own internal state of consciousness. And it's like Babylon. It just turns into a bloodbath of people just be like letting go and like losing, losing all of it, right? Losing their ability to have their humanity and their morality and, and having their essence be tied to something of the greater will. And so really, for me, it's about bringing your focus back to what it means to satisfy your life, because a satisfied human is a happy human, and a happy human mm. is less leveraged by stupid fake news media on any side of the spectrum, right? And so what's happening... Do you think people even know what satisfies them these days, though? No, no they don't. And, and they're being told what satisfies them, and they're trying them like Skittles, one at a time, trying to see which one of them is going to be some sort of magic Hail Mary solution to all their problems. And they've been sold a bill of goods. So it's about going back to the fundamentals of just getting your act together, finding a practice that brings you back on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, and then allowing the inner wisdom to really start to kind of unravel and let you feel what it feels like to be normal again. Because right now we think normal means cracked out on, you know, caffeine. We think normal means being hyper aware of every single tweet that's been posted today and like the FOMO of falling behind and all this. And this new normal, it's insane. It's contrived. It's not who we are and where we come from. And the more we bite into it, the less present we are as fully embodied humans and the less chance we have of correcting it from that place. You got to get your feet back on the earth. I mean, call me old school, right? But I've done this. I mean, I've studied five, 6,000-year-old traditions, and I've helped tens of thousands of people, not by saying, here's my stupid app that's going to fix your thing, or here's like some brainwave thing that's going to overwrite your dumb programming, but there's a tree. When's the last time you hung out mm -hmm. with a tree, dude, right? And, and just kind of mm -hmm. bringing back the, the simplicity and the basics and creating a system to kind of just curate your own life so that you're not in an energy deficit. You know, so I have a number of friends that were like early in the poker world and like, you know, became poker stars and, and just random kind of, you know, happenstance in my life. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of their lingo. And one of the things that, you know, the poker guys talk about is someone who's losing starts to play on tilt. Means, look, I, you know, if you've had a few, you've had a few losing hands. Now you're starting to like go all in on a bunch of nonsense to try to make back the mm. money mm -hmm. that you, you know, had before. And when a player starts going on tilt, they're gone, man. They're, you know, they're going to be felted. They're going to be off that table within the next half hour because they're no longer using their prefrontal cortex. They're no longer being rational players at the table. In my assessment, you know, in my humble opinion. Our entire freaking society is playing on tilt right now. You know, we're just like one headline away from like, you know, throwing our lots in and saying, screw you, blues, screw you, reds. And everyone's just so just, you, you don't even stop to think. We're just reactive, right? And the world yeah. is filled with reactive people reacting to each other in ways that are being orchestrated by some very smart think tanks, right? And so the only mm -hmm. way to take that back is to take your breath back. Focus your energy back on your priorities in life and come back to your humanity. That becomes the kind of the, the common moral fabric that then allows us to, you know, communicate and have discourse and, and be like, you know, what? so what if my car is four years old? 
do I really need a new one? Do I really need to stress about another bill? Right. You know, so what if right. the girls are going out to this yoga retreat that I'd love to go to? Can I afford it? Do I need, you know, is I'm in a new relationship. Is that right for this relationship that I'm in? Right. We all have our own calculus, mm -hmm. but we don't stop to even think about it. We just say yes. And that's insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really just slowing down and taking a look at the things that we give time and energy to in our own lives. Yeah, in a, sh in a short way of saying it, sure. You know, and the, and the problem is, is like, you know, we do these things where we kind of say, yeah, okay, so we, we got to fix our boundaries, we got to fix our relationships. And everyone's heard all this stuff, but no one has stopped to think about it. They're like, yeah, 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 okay, I've heard that advice. And no one stops to actually think about it and implement it in their own lives because we're so busy that we're like, yeah, yeah, I read that in Woman's Health and I read that here and I read that there. And like, yeah, I know everything. I know everything. My life's still a shit show, but I know everything, right? And, and, and we haven't actually stopped to implement any of it in a meaningful way to actually reap the rewards and that's where I'm kind of pressing pause and being like, look, yeah, I've read the books too. It doesn't do anything. You got to do the work. Mm -hmm. You got to do the mm -hmm. work. It's an information overload. You know, we're like flooded with memes of like, you know, do this and feel this and do, you know, but it's like, that's great. I love sharing that stuff. No one does it, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. The people who do it, you know, those people, they're few and far between, but they're the happy ones for the most part. Yeah. So do you think your book is different in that it will get people to do the work or is it just a hope? Well, listen, everything's a fool's hope at this point. You could lead a horse to water. So I'm in, I'm in, no, uh, I'm in no delusion to think that, you know, this guy's got all the answers. All I can say is here's what's worked for tens of thousands of my students. And if you mm -hmm. attempt a framework that's worked for a lot of people and put in the work towards your own life, I can't do it for you. Yeah. But if you could put in the work towards your own life, then hell yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing in your corner. I'm jumping up and down. I'll pick up some pom-poms if I have to, right? But I can't do the work for you. But here's mm -hmm. what needs to be done. And that, that discussion has lost its place in the culture where everyone is trying to sell sugar cereal to children. Everyone's trying to give you a quick fix. Everyone's trying to say, oh, you know, do this thing or do, you know, it's, just, it's all become memes. And it's all just irrelevant because no one does it. And that, to me, is the nonsense that is perpetuating more nonsense in a world that's, you know, kind of spiraling out of control. Yeah, the world is a little bit of a scary place right now. But I'm wondering what little things we can all do to make it a little better. The little things become tidal waves. And that's the thing that, that cracks me up about all this. You're a few breaths away from feeling better and a few weeks away from having your life just in a fundamentally different direction where it's filled with vitality and hope and peace and, and, and optimism. And that's really it is like, it's a call to arms, but your own arms, like turn around, look at your palms, wiggle your feet on the ground. Like, hello, this is your body. Come back. We need you. And it's that easy. It's that simple is, you know, when, when you have an embodied human being who's breathing up and down their spine and relaxing their diaphragm and just doing the stuff that brings them home, all of a sudden you start to see more peace around them, their household, their community. And I've seen this over, you know, decades now of people coming home, feeling better, and then just not being in the fray of this, this crazy noise that's not really us. This is a distortion who you are 
is a beautiful, eternal, powerful, happy human being that is lost in the noise. And how do you find yourself? At the bottom of every breath, at the top of each breath after that. And so just coming back to a mind-body mind body practice that serves you and watering that garden every day, it is, it's the way out, I promise. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been great talking with you today. Where can listeners hear more from you? Theurbanmonk.com. You'll find all my stuff there. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. This has been great. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Pedram for joining us on the show today. You can pre-order Focus, bringing time, energy, and money into flow now from Barnes & Noble. But check with your local independent bookstore first. Tune in two weeks from now for a new episode of The Yoga Show, when we'll finally begin our series on healing. In the meantime, you can follow me at L-I-N-D-S dot T-U-C-K-E-R on Instagram for more from The Yoga Show and beyond. Don't forget to leave us a rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. The Yoga Show is produced by me and Aviv Rubenstein. Follow him on social media at Rambo Calrissian. Theme music by Katie Canavan. More from her at Accordion to Katie on Instagram. Until next time for The Yoga Show, I'm Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat. For accessible 5-30 to minute meditation, pranayama, yoga nidra, and mantra practices from some of the world's leading teachers, tune into Yoga Journal's The Practice at yogajournal.com slash podcasts.